Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, the great presence of the Lord is here right now. And I'm grateful for that. I feel like the Lord has something to say to us today. If you will give me just a few moments, I feel like the Lord would like to show us something about himself that uh, sometimes we forget to understand. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea is one of the most unusual books in the Bible. When you understand what God asked this prophet to do. And that was to go contrary to his word and his law to his people. But he instructed this man to marry a harlot. And so Hosea, who was a contemporary to Isaiah, Hosea was a prophet that was sent to speak to Israel. At that time, the kingdoms were divided and uh, was the kingdom of Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim, and it was a group of those people, and then uh, Judah, Isaiah was the prophet to Judah during that season. And so God instructs him to go find a harlot, uh, a prostitute, and marry her. And he did. And what ensues and what transpires from that union was a miserable heartbreak one after the other. And it was symbolic of what God wanted Israel to understand that they were doing to him. That he was their husband. They were his wife. And they had turned away from him. They had gone after other gods. They had... uh, given themselves over to the ways of uh, a wicked people and uh, they were not even in any resemblance uh, a proof that they were God's people. But God never gives up and I'm so thankful that God never gives up. Amen. He never lets go. He keeps coming back again and again. And when you read Hosea, it's it's a very challenging book because you read part of a chapter or part of a section of the chapter and, and it expresses such frustration and hurt because of Gomer's actions and what she was doing. And then in the very next verse, it transitions to a future time, a promise, and it's this back and forth. Uh, I I don't even know how to describe it, but Hosea is caught in this maelstrom of highs and lows. And uh, it it was back and forth. And so I'm going to pick up in the second chapter, uh, the 14th verse, and this is a high moment. But you would have to read the beginning verses to see how low that Hosea had been, how far down he had gone. He had gone to the point 
that he had said, I'm going to divorce my wife. I've had all I can stand of Gomer's unfaithfulness. I'm tired of the heartbreak. And so he says to his children, she's not my wife. She's not acting like my wife. And he talks about all the things that were going to happen. And then suddenly, in the middle of that, here comes this therefore. And you always, you've heard me say, Brother Starks has said it in teaching, when you see a therefore in scripture, you need to stop and think about what, what it's there for. And so it's a transitional moment that you're going from this dark, dark place and suddenly you're in this high mountain atmosphere of hope and faith. And this is the, this is the battle that going on in Hosea's mind and heart. And so let's begin reading. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. He said in the next verse, And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of Egypt. Go to the next verse. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishii and shalt call me no more Baalii. Ishii means husband. Baalii means a slave master. Quite a shift in relationship, if you ask me. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth and they shall no more be remembered by their name. Next verse. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowls of the heaven and with the creeping things of the ground and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. Next verse. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. Next verse. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Next verse. And it shall come to pass in that day. Everybody say that day. Somebody say that day is this day. I believe that. I believe it's time for us to stop looking to some future event or some future moment and realize that we are living in that day. We are living in that opportunity. That day shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, saith the Lord. I will hear. And the word in the Greek or in the Hebrew means not only will I listen to you, but I will actively work in behalf of your need. I will hear you. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel. 
What a shift in their whole life transpired because of what God has promised that he will do. What is interesting to me that in this particular chapter, you may be seated, is that Hosea reminds this people, this wayward people, this group of people that were not living up to their potential. They were not moving in a direction that was pleasing to God. They were turned from Him and moving in a different direction. And yet in the midst of that atmosphere, God reveals Himself to them and said, Hey, I want to tell you something. I am willing to do whatever it takes to get you back where you need to belong. I am willing to do whatever it takes to bring you back into the right kind of relationship. I am willing to do anything it takes to bring you into the right place where you are faithful and your life is filled with righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what God said I am willing to do. And if you count them up, you will find that there's between 20 and 30 I wills that God declares in this one chapter alone. I will. 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 What is God doing? God's trying to let somebody know, I'm willing to take another chance on you. I'm willing to give you another opportunity. I know where you're at, and I know where you ought to be. I know what you've been doing, but I know what you ought to be doing. And I'm willing to take a chance on you. I'm willing to risk one more time exposing my love to you. I'm willing to gather you in my arms again and show you you how much I love you. Amen. The chances that God is willing to take on all of us is amazing and overwhelming. It doesn't matter where we've been, doesn't matter what we've done, it doesn't matter who we are. God is willing to go to whatever length, to whatever measure, to show you and I how much He loves us and how important we are to his kingdom. You see, some of us have the idea that we're not really that important to the kingdom of God. And so it doesn't matter if we live a victorious life or not. It doesn't matter if we're as radical as all of these that were up at the front. We have come to believe a lie that it doesn't matter to us because we are not that significant in the kingdom. And yet God has brought me to this place today to declare to somebody sitting on these pews that you're more important to him than you think. And he is willing to go as far as he's got to go to draw you back in and bring you back to that place where you need to be. I love the words that are used by Hosea. He said, God speaking, I will allure you. Allure. Think about that word. Allure is not force. Allure is not coercion. 
allure is appealing to that something in us that will cause us to respond to love. You know, it doesn't matter how high you build a wall. There's a place in your life. There's a chink in that armor somewhere. And when somebody decides to start alluring you, they're going to find that crack. They're going to find that chink. And you can put up such a hard wall that I'm not going to be like this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that kind of person. I'm going to live my own life. But there's a crack somewhere in that armor and God's love is looking for it. And he said, I'm going to find a way to get in. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to force you. But I'm going to touch you in such a way that you've never been touched before. I'm going to love you in such a way that you've never been loved before. I'm going to show you what real love really is. It's not just a one night stand. It's not just an opportunity of a moment. But I'm going to show you what everlasting love is. I'm going to show you what real faithfulness is. I'm going to show you what real commitment looks like. Yeah. I'm going to allure them. I'm going to speak kindly. I'm going to Speak softly. I'm going to speak tenderly. I, I, I'm going to come in in the gentlest of ways. I'm not, you, you know, it's amazing. Uh, some things sometimes get stuck. And I remember uh, reading about the story of, of one of the, a boat, a very large boat that got stuck in a harbor uh, and they couldn't budget. They tried every means possible, and they could not move it. But one man said, I think I know how to move it. I, I think I know what to do. And so they kind of looked at him out of the corner of their eye, like, who do you think you are? We've tried every means possible. We've used every thing available to us and we've not been able to get it to budge but he had been studying the tide and there's a power in the tide and it's such a silent thing you don't even realize that it's shifting or turning or coming or going it just happens but when the force of that tide came in at the highest peak of the tide he began to pull and what men could not do on their own and by their own means, the tide made it possible for those things to move. And that's what God is trying to show Hosea. It doesn't matter how deeply mired or stuck you are in your life. There is a tide of love. There is a tide of my spirit that is powerful enough to lift you up and get you unstuck out of that lifestyle and get you unstuck out of that habit. Oh yeah, some of you are just living out of a habit because that's just what you've always done and you just keep going back and doing it again. And the Spirit said, I wanna, I'm going to allure you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and I'm going to take that place of humiliation, Acor. No, you, you may not remember the Valley of Achor, but Achor was the first great battle that Israel faced when they came into the Promised Land. And they had had such victory 
in, in, in Jericho that when they came to the next place, which was the Valley of Achor, some of the men said, we don't need to send everybody out. Let's just send a small army. We can take this city easily. Look how Jericho fell. And in the pride of their own arrogance, they sent them forth. What they didn't realize was that there was a man in their camp that had taken a forbidden thing. He had taken something of of Jericho, which was the first fruit of the land. It belonged to God. God said, that's mine. You don't put your hand on it. You leave it alone. That belongs to me. I'm going to give you the rest of the promised land, but this particular spot is mine. But there was a man by the name of Achan that decided there was a garment that was too attractive. And so he snuck it out of a tent and he brought it into his own tent and he hid it and nobody was the wiser until they went to battle and they came back running in defeat and they were so overwhelmed they began to wail wondering what's happened here we come walking around a city like Jericho and the walls fall down and we go against some puny little municipality with with the power to do whatever we need to do and we are coming back in defeat and they were so discouraged until Joshua brought them together and the Lord brought it to light that there was sin in the camp And here was a valley of humiliation. Achan, all of his family was lost there. And from that point forward, every Jew knew something about the valley of Achor. They knew of the humiliation. They knew of the shame of defeat. They knew what it was like to be laughed at and mocked by the enemy. And yet in this moment of transitional power and this love that is going to operate. God said, I'm going to take the valley of Achor and I'm going to make it a door, a gateway of opportunity. I'm going to make it a doorway of hope. What is hope? Hope is an expectation of a better future. Hope is an expectation that what's coming is better than anything that I've experienced so far. It is the bird with its open mouth waiting upon the next meal, knowing that that meal is coming. It is that heart that is open wide, knowing that God is able to give exceeding abundantly above all that you should ask or think. It is that expectation. It is that anticipation that something good My future is bright because of that hope. And God said, I'm going to take your humiliation. I'm going to take that point in your life where you were embarrassed the most. And I'm going to use that as a platform to transition that into a gateway to hope. Into a gateway to possibility. Right where you failed. I'm going to turn that failure into a victory. Because that's what my love wants to do for you. Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. So God says, here's what I'll do. These are the things that I'm willing to take a chance on. I'm willing to take a chance on alluring you. 
I'm willing to take a chance on offering you a better future. I'm willing to take a chance on offering you a way out. Amen. So I'm speaking this morning to those of you that are not living up to your potential. You are not moving in a direction that's going to bring you closer to God's purpose for your life. And God has sent a preacher to intervene for a moment and offer you a precious gift of hope that God said, hey, you don't have to keep going that way. You don't have to keep living that way. You don't have to keep acting that way. You don't have to keep thinking that way. There's a better way of life. There's a better way of living and I'm offering it to you now. Amen. It's important that you understand what God said here. It was to me at least. When God said this is what I'm willing to do. This is how far I'm willing to go. I am willing to start over again. I'm willing to start over again. Oh yeah. I don't think we get the importance of that. But God said I'm willing to go back and let's start like it was from the very beginning. We cannot fathom that. Because most people when they come and pray through, they come and pray through, but they never come back to where they were supposed to be. They keep living in that same atmosphere and they keep living in that same spirit, in that same presence. And they, they, they don't understand. It, it, it doesn't seem like there's any renewal in my life. God said, hey, I want to take you back to the beginning. I want to start fresh. And this is what I love. He did not say, I will begin again. He did not say, I will begin over. Let me say it that way. He said, if he had said, I will begin over, he did say that, but he, if that's all he would have said, I will begin over, that implies that he might change his plan and just wipe you out of the whole picture and use somebody else. But God said, this is the chance I'm willing to take on you. I'm willing to go back and start over again with you. And you, and you, you, anybody, and it doesn't matter who it is. I'm willing to go back to the very beginning and start fresh. That's the kind of love that I have for you because I have a purpose for your life. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that breathed life in you. I'm the one that knows what's best for you. And that's why I'm alluring you today. I'm saying, come on, come on out of that lifestyle. Come on out of that thinking. Come on out of that way of living. Why? Because there is a better path for you to walk and there is a better way of life. So he said, I will, I'm going to start over again. Implying I'm going to stay with you. Aren't you thankful today that God's willing to take that kind of chance? He's not looking for another. I said he's not looking for another. 
If I could walk these aisles, I'd point at every one of you. Some of you think he's talking about somebody else. No, he's talking about you. I'm not looking for somebody else. I'm not looking to use somebody else. I'm not trying to use somebody else. I want to use you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a future for you. I don't care what the valley has been up to this point. It may have been a disaster in your life. But he said, I'm about to transition that and transform that. That's that's amazing to me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say this. God's not looking for somebody else. He's looking for me. How do you think revival's going to come? Well, you know, we got people that pray. It's probably going to come. No, God said, I'm not looking for somebody. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. Because I want to use you. I want you. I want you involved. I want you engaged. I want you off the pew. I want you doing something for my kingdom. You see, some of us are guilty, and I'm going to... I'm going to just meddle a little bit right now, but I have that privilege because I have the mic. But some of us have just become professional pew occupiers. Yeah. And we faithfully fill our spot. And I'm not ridiculing that. I'm glad you're here. It's a whole lot better than having an empty building for sure. But here's what God's saying. I'm not looking for somebody else in this world to use. I'm looking for you. And I need you to stop looking for somebody else to do it. And I need you to realize that I brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. That you have something to contribute. That you have something to give. That you have something to become. That God wants to use you in this hour. I'm not trying to beat the bush, but I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You've got to get that mentality out of your thinking. Well, somebody will do it. Somebody will do it. Somebody. Somebody. Somebody is me. Somebody is me. Come on, say, it's me. It's me that God is looking for. It's me that God is trying to engage. It's me that God is trying to cause to wake up and realize that you have a future. That they, I don't care what your past has been. I don't care what your failures have been. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care how far down you've been. I don't care what you think of yourself. God thinks highly of you today. And God has a better plan for your life and a future and a hope. And a gift that he wants to give you. Oh, Jesus, I guess I need to shut up. I'm going to turn the valley of trouble into an opportunity for hope. 
I'm going to transition you and transform you. I'm going to give your song back. Yeah, I'm going to give your song back. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to fix your relationships in your life. You're not going to call me a slave master anymore. You're not going to look at me in the same way you've looked at me in the past. Fearful of me. Afraid that he's going to crack a whip. You know, there are some people that live for God out of sheer fear. But they're just afraid if they don't live for God, lightning's going to strike them dead. I was one of those at one time that thought every time I made a wrong move, God was fixing to zap me. And take me out of here. But I found out later on that God loved me too much to do that. He didn't create me to zap me. He created me to infuse me with his power. He created me to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And that's what he wants to do in this place. Yeah, he's going to change the language that you use. Yeah. He's going to change the language. You're going to stop talking that old life. You're going to stop talking about that old life. Because this new life is going to be so much better than that old life. You're not going to want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. He said, I'm going to create a safe environment for you. Where you can live and the bullies and the beasts cannot make you afraid. I'm going to respond to you. And this is what I'm going to close with. God said, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to respond to you. And he uses a unique analogy. He said, I'm going to respond to the sky. What does that mean? That evidently means that the sky has been crying out, clouds, rain. There are no clouds. There is no rain. And the reason that the sky is crying that is because the ground is looking to the sky and saying, rain on me. Rain on me. I need your moisture. I need the dew of heaven. I need you to rain on me because I'm dry and parched. And the reason the ground is saying that because the seed in the ground is crying out to the ground. Give me nutrients. Give me something to live. Give me something that will bring me to life. And God said, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to respond to you. I'm willing to respond to your heaven. I'm willing to respond to your ground. I'm willing to respond to your seed and bring it to fruition. Come on, stand with me. I'll respond to the cry of your emptiness. Oh, I will respond to the cry of your emptiness. Oh, my soul is parched. My ground is parched. There's no, there's no rain in the forecast. Oh, I need the rain of heaven. I think that's what we've been enjoying some of this morning is the rain of heaven. But I don't think God wants to stop it yet. I think God has a great big cloud burst that's waiting on somebody that will just recognize his willingness and his eagerness And what he would like to do. And he said, I will respond to your cry.
but you have to cry. I said you have to cry. You can't just sit there and wait on God to do something. Well, if God wants me to have it, God will give it to me. There has to be a cry. There has to be a voice that's raised and say, oh God, my family needs it. My home needs it. My mind needs it. My spirit needs it. I need that refreshing rain. Why? Because there's seeds of possibility in me that are dormant because there is no rain. And they're crying out, let me live. Let me live. Let me live. And what's so amazing, Malachi and Larissa, God has planted seeds in your life. And he's planted seeds in my life. Brother, he's planted seeds in your life. And those seeds are for a purpose. They're not just to lay dormant. Seeds are given to grow. They're to produce. They're made to produce. They have life in them. And all they need is the right atmosphere and the right conditions. And I'm just telling you, listen to me right now. I am prophesying to this church that there are thousands of seeds of promise and hope in this building right now that's dormant because there's not been a rain, there's not been a shower, there's not been the heavens that have been opened on us and God said I'm willing to do it now if you cry out to me if you cry out to me I'll send the rain I'll respond to the heavens and the heavens will respond to the earth Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. 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 Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Come on. I believe everybody in this building needs to respond right now because there's a, the seeds of potential are not outside this building. They're in this building right now. The seeds of revival that will burst open the seams of this church, that will burst open the seams of this church are in this place right now. And all that they need is some rain. All they need is some spiritual moisture. Come on. Come on, everybody. Come on. Some of us aren't where we need to be, and God's trying to get us there today. Some of us aren't exactly in the attitude or the frame of mind we need to be, but God's trying to get us there. He said, I'm willing to take a chance on that. I'm willing to risk that. I'm willing to risk taking that chance. 
I'm willing to risk taking that chance. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.